Welcome to Grace Spaces. We are a production of the American Baptist Churches of Connecticut. Join us on the second Monday of each month as we have a grace-filled conversation with a fellow sojourner. I am your host, Reverend Jamie D. Crumley. Let's get into our conversation for today. Hello, Grace Spaces listeners. Today, we are here for our second episode of the podcast. Our guest today is Allison McKinney-Tem. She is the founder and executive director of Justice Revival, which is a community of Christian faith dedicated to serving as a voice for human rights in the United States. Allison is a theologically trained human rights lawyer whose commitment to justice ministry has been inspired by her faith journey. She lived and worked in sub-Saharan Africa before teaching human rights and earning her Master of Divinity degree at Yale. Last year, the Center for American Progress recognized Allison as one of the 10 faith leaders to watch in 2018. Allie's writing has appeared in Sojourners, California Lawyer, Reflections, USA Today, and The Independent. Allison previously served as the Robert M. Cover Allard K. Lowenstein Fellow of International Human Rights Law at Yale Law School, where she taught in the Lowenstein International Human Rights Clinic and worked for the Orville H. Shell Jr. Center for International Human Rights. At Yale, she supervised human rights investigations in Tanzania, India, and Sierra Leone. She returned to the Shell Center during the fall of 2016 to consult on the planning of the 2017 Robert L. Bernstein Human Rights Symposium on Religion and Human Rights. Before her years at Yale, Allison established and led the Uganda field office of the International Justice Mission. Under her leadership, the office innovated a program to defend the property and inheritance rights of vulnerable widows and orphans. Their team of investigators, lawyers, and social workers educated communities about women's and children's legal rights, provided pro bono legal services to victims, and pioneered a training program for police on property-grabbing crimes. Allison began her career as an associate with the international law firm of Latham & Watkins, LLP, While there, she was part of a team that successfully advocated for reform of unlawfully poor conditions at the California Youth Authority juvenile prison system. She was also part of a trial team that represented victims of human trafficking in a civil suit against their abusers. During a sabbatical, she served on a pro bono basis for the United Nations International Criminal Tribunal for Rwanda Office of the Prosecutor in Arusha, Tanzania. Allison is also ordained, and she's a ruling elder in the Presbyterian Church, USA. Thank you so much, Allison, for agreeing to be on this episode of Grace Spaces. Thank you, Jamie. I'm delighted to be here. I should clarify um, just one point on my bio, which you graciously shared, and I, I thank you for that. I'm not ordained as a clergy person, but in the Presbyterian Church USA, I serve as what we call a ruling elder, uh, which means I'm a lay leader in the church. Oh, great. Thank you so much for that clarification. And I thank you and all the other wonderful lay people who truly are the leaders and the backbones of continuing to have a church universal. 
Mm. Yeah, I'm grateful that our traditions are so open to lay people playing an active leadership role. Um, I'm thankful for that, indeed. Great. Well, speaking of faith journeys and faith traditions, I would love it if we could just start off by you telling our audience a bit about your own faith journey. Sure, I'd be glad to. Church life and Christian faith have been really central to um, my own life story from an early age. I really grew up in the church um, from early days of going to Sunday school as a young child. Um, I went to uh, a church near our home that had a preschool. And so my folks would also take me to Sunday school on the weekends and got really early Christian education there, um, probably from kindergarten on. Uh, around age 11, I chose to be baptized. And that was, of course, a special and memorable moment. Um, it was shortly after a loss in our family. My grandfather had passed. And during a time of mourning for um, his passing, my older cousin, Andrea talked to me about her Christian faith and her hope of being reunited with our grandfather. She was someone I admire and look up to so much. Um, and that's when, when I made the decision uh, to become baptized. And the church was a really important part of my youth and my formative years. It was just a place where I found great peace and solace and first had um, wonderful experiences of intimacy with the Lord. So I'm, I'm deeply thankful for the faith community of my early years growing up in Jacksonville, Florida. And I, in college, I'm one of the, the folks, I understand I'm not alone in sort of uh, stepping away or my faith not being as central to my, my daily life, really, as a college student. But by law school, shortly after college, I just felt like a big part of my heart was missing. I felt like I wasn't, um, I wasn't myself without a close connection to my Christian faith and the life of the church. So in law school, I, I lived right across the street uh, from actually Foundry United Methodist Church. And so I thought, well, how fortunate. I'm right here on the church's doorstep. And so I reconnected with my faith. And I was also really intrigued to see these banners outside the church at that time that spoke about justice and peace building. Because um, in the tradition of my youth, the focus had been really on a kind of personal relationship with God and salvation, um, but I hadn't made the connection between Christian faith and uh, pursuing these important aims of justice and peace. So I began to discover um, that connection at Foundry as a young adult, and um, after law school relocated to San Francisco, where I became a member of Calvary Presbyterian Church in the tradition that I'm now a part of. Um, and that church also played a really pivotal role in my formation. 
as I went through experiences like um, a class on spiritual gifts and learning more about how I understood um, my gifts in relation to the gifts that we each bring as members of the body of Christ. And uh, part of what I learned there is that I had an inclination toward what that class called missionary, but I understood it to mean a real affinity and love for seeing life through the lens of a different culture. And, um, <clears throat> and I, I associated that to my, my love of travel and faraway places. And it was not long after that experience that I first ended up volunteering in East Africa. Um, in fact, just last weekend, I was back at Calvary uh, talking to friends there and a wonderful man, uh, Jim Dees, who was the head of equipping ministries at Calvary. He still remembered my experience of the spiritual gifts class and told me he he still shares that story with people to say, watch out, you never know uh, what might happen when you start exploring your spiritual gifts. That's a wonderful story. Thank you so much for sharing your own faith journey, which it sounds like has been diverse and rich and has contributed to the kind of vocation that you have created for yourself today. So we met back in, I believe, 2012, when we were both pursuing Master of Divinity degrees at Yale Divinity School. So what led you down that particular path? Well, I had pressing questions that I was and I continue to be so curious about exploring. Um, so to sort of pick up the story where I left off, I, I moved from Calvary and San Francisco to, to living in, uh, in Kampala, Uganda in East Africa. And that represented my transition into human rights work. And, and that was very much intertwined with a spiritual journey and a sense of wanting to use my vocation uh, to serve the Lord in ways that um, felt more tangible and direct. Uh, I had been practicing law, um, and that was work that I, I found exciting and challenging, but I just really had a yearning to connect, closely connect my um, life of faith and my sense of desire for service with the work that I did every day. And so I found myself doing work in East Africa with a, a faith-based human rights organization. And as you mentioned in, in the opening, uh, the work was on behalf of widows and orphans who lost their homes. And I, through that work and then through subsequent reflection and study, I stumbled on sort of a paradox um, that concerned me and still concerns me. It was that I saw people of Christian faith on both sides of important issues of justice. So on the one hand, I saw the tremendous potential for people of faith to do good things, to promote justice and to defend the rights of the vulnerable. And I experienced that working in East Africa, where 
my work was supported both by churches here in the U.S. who were praying and giving financially, as well as pastors and and other religious leaders in the villages where we were working with widows. And so I saw things like, oh, a pastor there, he had taken three uh, widows and about 20 children into his own home because there were no social services. And so beautiful acts of generosity and also um, work of justice in that ordinarily there was someone in the community, some leader who would stand up for the widow and the orphan whose rights had been violated. Um, and so we usually found someone of goodwill and that was very important in order to um, in order to speak with the community about uh, welcoming a widow back into her home and their community. But I also learned um, at the same time that there is this um, challenge here in the United States of um, religious resistance to the very human rights treaties that were so essential in our ability to do that work for widows. And um, and I'm speaking about religious resistance to the U.S. Uh, being part of international human rights treaties, working through U.N. mechanisms to uphold human rights, and, and also being willing to be held accountable on our own human rights record. And so I was really puzzled. I thought, well, if justice is so central to our faith as Christians and the human rights movement is sort of the the most expansive and the most powerful movement for justice the world has ever known. How can it be that Christians are on both sides of these issues? I wanted to understand that. And I also really wanted to reassure myself that I was responding as faithfully as I could and that's what led me to divinity school. Wow, I think that is so fascinating. And so that really leads me to what you've done since, in that brief time since um, we graduated from divinity school, which I think, well, now the time is quickly increasing. It's been about four years now, but um, it's been a pretty brief time. And I know that I heard from you a few years ago and that you we're starting this great organization, Justice Revival. So can you just tell our audience, first of all, a little bit more about what Justice Revival is and why you founded Justice Revival? I continued kind of reflecting on these, the paradox that I just shared with you. So continued through Divinity School uh, to study and explore what Christian tradition, Christian scripture, Christian leadership has to say about human rights. And my study really affirmed for me that there is so much within our tradition on many levels that affirms the, the goodness and rightness of defending the human rights of all people as an expression of our religious commitment to justice. Uh, and I also, I think, came to understand a little better what are some of the dynamics that have caused conflict around human rights in the U.S. Um, but 
toward the end of my time in divinity school, I came together with a group of fellow Christian leaders who shared the concerns that I had, who shared the sense that there was an opportunity to do something new to um, advance the movement for justice and rights and to engage the church in new ways in that work that, of course, many uh, within the church have been championing for years, decades, really. Um, And so we founded Justice Revival, um, as you mentioned, to be a Christian voice for human rights in the United States. And the vision is really uh, quite a bold and transformative movement in which people of Christian faith in this country play a vital role in calling on our national leaders to do their duty to uphold the human rights that are there in international law and that um, are there to some degree and should be there in our domestic laws as well. And the vision is that this is an expression, a living out of our faith commitment, both to love our neighbor and to do justice for the oppressed. And the vision is that that Christian people are, of course, joining with others, with with various neighbors in this diverse movement, but that we bring what we have, the special resources that we have within Christian faith, which I think are profound and um, can play, can continue to play a significant and unique role in a broader human rights movement. And I say continue to because an important part of the history is the very special, unique influence that Christian thought and that um, Christian leadership has had on the the genesis and the growth of the idea of human rights and of the contemporary human rights movement. And so we want to highlight and hold up the, uh, the, the beneficial contributions that Christianity has made so far, and we, we want to build on them. And so Imagine if people of Christian faith, who are over 70%, of course, of our our U.S. population, if we were united in calling on our leaders at every level to respect and protect the rights of those on the margins, and if a majority of Americans actually affirmed that human rights are inviolable, that they must never be disregarded. They must never be set aside. Imagine how different our society might look. At Justice Revival, I think what we have to offer is a unique platform and some unique resources to empower and to grow this uh, Christian facet of the human rights movement. And we do this in three ways, through education, collaboration, and advocacy. The body of Christian believers, I think, in the United States is a diverse body, although, as you've stated, um, is, like you've said, a majority of people who are living in the United States today. So what do you see as being the role of Justice Revival in bringing together Christians across you know, all of the diversity of our faith as it's represented in the United States. Um, how has that been going for you? 
So I think our distinctive role is to be an organization that sits at the intersection of Christian faith-based social justice advocacy on the one hand and specialized expertise in human rights, both the, the international law, the legal standards and mechanisms, and the Christian theologies of human rights. And so that's our understanding of what's... Um, What's perhaps uh, unique about what we bring to this, um, again, this broader coalition of many who are, um, who are allied in shared concern for, for justice issues. Um, and indeed, I, I want to recognize the important point you made that it's a very diverse landscape of, um, American Christianity, of American Protestantism. Um, and perhaps also Catholicism. And that's part of why we're really hopeful about the promise of reminding people of the theological underpinnings of human rights in the Christian tradition. Because the concept of human rights has been highly politicized in the U.S., um, as it has on some level globally, but it's been really highly politicized here. And so we want to step back from the sort of political wrangling that's, um, that's followed, um, really since the, since the creation of the UN with its role of protecting human rights. We want to step back from that political picture and look again at the theological picture um, on human rights and hopefully give people a deeper understanding of the connection between their Christian faith uh, and the biblical value of justice. You asked how it's been going. It has been going well. Um, we are a two-year-old organization, so we're still in a somewhat early stage. Uh, we have started with our friends and families and the churches who we know. So we've really made a start through our own networks. So far, we've taught at nine churches in five states on both coasts. And it's been exciting to see how interested people are in learning about human rights. There seems to be a real opportunity and need for this type of education because most folks haven't had an opportunity to study human rights in any formal way, even folks with graduate education in related fields. Um, and this is not unique to the church. This is because the United States in general does not incorporate human rights education in any systematic way in our school curricula in the way that uh, many of our peer countries do. So human rights education is very much left to the so-called informal sector, to nonprofits and religious organizations. And so um, all the more um, all the more reason that doing this type of education in churches in a way that's religiously literate is is appropriate and beneficial. Um, and our biggest learning has been that the people we've talked to are really eager to take action based on their learning. And so the the learning is interesting, but really people are most interested in 
now what? What can I do? How can I make a difference? And that's certainly something that we're interested in and focused on as well. And so um, as we continue refining this curriculum, which is still um, in development and being piloted this year, we are learning to include opportunities for action in each module, each hour of education that's being taught, whether it's something as simple as saying, there's an annual human rights day and here's a set of resources that you could utilize if your congregation wants to commemorate that day and raise awareness in your community about uh, human rights in general. Um, that's one opportunity or something as specific as here is a campaign about homelessness. And since you're already involved in helping the homeless, uh, could you consider also adding advocacy on policy issues to the good work you're already doing to to serve the homeless by meeting their more immediate physical needs. And so we're building those types of uh, advocacy opportunities into the education now. Um, and that's been um, an important development that's really grown out of our interaction with the communities we're serving. So you've been to churches, you said, on both coasts. And so I guess not to the Midwest yet. Not yet. Um, we are in conversation with uh, at least one church in my original home state of Texas. Oh, great. And then we are networking with pastors in other regions, including um more the South, Southeast, mm -hmm. and we'd love to visit the mid Midwest. Um, and we also want folks to know that we're really interested in connecting with any church who might be uh, intrigued by this Christian human rights education concept. So we'd want to welcome any, um, any outreach or inquiries that churches might have for us. Great. So I have a kind of selfish question. Um, for years, I Christian education minister. And specifically, I was doing a lot of work with middle school students, and I still am really passionate about Christian education among middle school students, just because they tend to have so much passion and so much creativity and curiosity. And I feel like that 12 and 13 and 14 year old age range is just such a ripe time for learning and perhaps correcting misconceptions and doing some of the important learning that you've been doing with a lot of adults through your work with Justice Revival. So how can we start teaching um, these important human rights lessons to our students who are still even in elementary school and middle school? Mm, that's a great question, Jamie. Uh, while our work so far in these initial years has focused on this uh, curriculum primarily for adults, we do recognize at Justice Revival how vital uh, similar education for children and youth is. And, and as you've uh, pointed out, the potential for transformation that comes when we begin talking about these important issues at earlier ages. Um, so that's something that we would love to dream about at Justice Revival. It may be a little ways down the road for us personally to expand and to begin developing youth-based um, resources. But I will 
talk about, um, give a, a mention to another organization that's done some work that might be relevant. Uh, here in DC, we've connected with the American Friends Service Committee, which does wonderful human rights work, uh, very uh, grassroots, responding to needs of local communities. And they actually commissioned a human rights curriculum for District of Columbia public schools. I believe it's secondary schools. And this struck me as a really encouraging achievement. Uh, the course is still an optional one that um, schools aren't required to offer, but they have it available as an elective. And at Justice Revival, we'd love to see human rights incorporated more as a required topic in public schools. Uh, this is something we strongly support. But I'll just, I'll point to that, um, that American Friends Service Committee curriculum, which I can also get to you if that's of interest. And We've also identified some children's resources uh, done by um, mainstream or secular human rights organizations. For in instance, Amnesty International has a great illustrated children's book. It's called We Are All Born Free, The Universal Declaration of Human Rights in Pictures. And the Universal Declaration is always a starting point for human rights education. So for adults or for youth, it's a great place to start. It's fairly um, brief and, and understandable, certainly for adults. And it's fun to see this amnesty resource that has, uh, has put that into language that's more appropriate for younger children. So those are a few resources we can point to. But it, you know, even as we talk here, it strikes me that um, one potential role for justice revival in keeping with our uh, our identity at the intersection of Christian faith and human rights might be to to curate a longer list of resources for children and youth that we can recommend right now uh, before we've developed our own and we did something similar with curating resources for churches for Human Rights Day, and that's available on our website now for any congregations that are wanting to organize um, a commemoration of Human Rights Day in December during the Advent season when it falls each year. I will definitely link the organization that you mentioned into our show notes so that our listeners will be able to find it. So finally, Allie, here great spaces, one of the things that we like to do is leave our listeners with one or two grace notes. And those are the kind of resonant items from our conversation that we want to make sure that listeners are able to take with them. So as we've had this conversation today, are there any grace notes that you would like to share with our listeners? I'd be delighted. Thank you, Jamie. Um, one thing that that I sometimes say to summarize the relationship between Christian commitment to justice and human rights is that human rights mean Christian duties. Human rights mean Christian duties. And by that, I want to affirm that if we aspire to love our neighbors as ourselves, then the very least we can do is to respect and defend our neighbors' basic fundamental rights and freedoms. 
respecting their dignity as children of God. And so we really think of human rights as the bottom line, the moral floor that we should not sink beneath, um, even as we keep aspiring to reach higher and to truly love our neighbors as ourselves. The other note that I would want to share is that I really believe the movement for justice and equal rights in our country needs the church. You might hear people of various opinions on this, but but based on my experience and just also what I've realized through reflecting and meditating on these issues over the last few years is that the transformation of heart and mind that's needed in order for each of us to really see each person as a brother, a brother deserving of respect and love and inclusion for no other reason than because she or he is a human person. In order to be able to do this, we need the Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. That's a transformation of heart and mind that does not happen on an intellectual level alone, to really live as if this is true. It's a deeper heart level change that's needed in our country today. And this is why the work of justice and human rights is the work of the church. We have a vital, special, and unique role to play in a diverse global movement for the human rights of all people. Wow, great. I love both of those notes. So human rights are a Christian duty. I think that that's something that we all definitely can carry with us. And I thank you so much for being on the podcast to share with us not only about your own call and your own faith experience, but also about the important responsibility that we have as Christians to care and to love which Jesus states is the greatest commandment to love the Lord our God and to love one another. So Ali, as we wrap up today, I would love it if you would share how our listeners can connect with the work that you're doing at Justice Revival. I've been on your website, which is gorgeous. So I would love it if you all can, if you can share what the website is, um, but also if there's any kind of social media that um, our listeners could follow. Yes, of course. So we hope you'll visit us at justicerevival.org. And please follow us on social media. We're on Facebook. The handle is Defending Human Rights on Facebook. And on Twitter, our handle is Doing Justice. You can also find us on LinkedIn. And finally, if you're interested in connecting personally, and perhaps exploring whether you'd like to bring Justice Revival to your community, whether it's to teach education, just to speak for an hour, or to even be part of a panel conversation. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at info at justicerevival.org. Fantastic. Listeners, this has been a conversation with Allison McKinney-Tem. Allison is the one of the co-creators of Justice Revival. Um, and it has been such a gift to have you on the show today, Allie. Thank you for listening to this episode of Grace Spaces. Follow us on Instagram at ABC Grace Spaces. 
Until next time, go forth with faith, hope, and grace.